Welcome to another I Love to Tell the Story podcast. This is a podcast for praise. Our theme verse is from Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This is a podcast where we just love to talk about God and all the things that he is doing in our lives and share it. I am Pastor David Collins from Roseville Baptist Church, and today I am joined by Debbie Potter. She is a faithful, longtime member of this church, and she would love to share her story. So thanks so much for being here with us today, Debbie. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so what would you like to share? Go ahead and tell us your story about what Jesus has done in your life. Well, I've had a very interesting life. Um, When I was born, I had a congenital heart defect that was incurable. Hmm. The doctors told my folks to take me home. I probably wouldn't live past two years old. Wow. And um, my dad was in the Navy. My mom was only 19. So uh, things started pretty early for her. She lived with her mother and her dad while my dad was in the Navy, and my grandmother was a faithful Southern Baptist woman (laughs) and took me under her wing and took me to church and carried me around and told everybody how sad it was for her grandbaby, you know, and that (laughs) she was going to die and all these terrible down, these things that happened. Mm. So um, I know that God was working in my life and my mom's life at that time, in fact, the whole family, because I had a huge extended family, and um, they prayed all the time. So I never went to school until um, after my surgery when I was nine, Hmm. and my surgery was experimental. Um, they didn't have a procedure. It was called transposition of the great vessels, where the aorta and the pulmonary are reversed. And so your heart is doing everything backwards. You're not getting any oxygen to your limbs. So I was a blue baby. And wow. um, I was on oxygen all the time at home. And I used to sit and look out the window and cry at the kids going by, going to school, because I so wanted to go to school. Hmm. But I had a home teacher. at the In those days, the... The uh, districts provided them for free, hmm. and so when I was able, they would come in and teach me. So I got a pretty good education early on. Um, didn't do well later on in life. I couldn't stand school because I was bored, but um, <laughs> I did manage to graduate. <laughs> so when I was nine, we were living in Bakersfield, and my dad worked for the railroad. He was a foreman, and I had been in the hospital quite a few times for pneumonia and um, just different things that they needed to check on me every every week to make sure that I was still alive. My grandfather used to drive out from L.A. out into the valley to take us to the clinic every day. Mm. And uh, I was surrounded by a lot of love and a lot of support, and my mom too, because, you know, being so young, she really had a tough time. So when I was nine, um, I had a situation where they didn't expect me to live, and they raced me down to Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. And the doctor that decided to try the surgery on me was 35. She was a woman. Hmm. And she got another doctor to help her. And they operated on me for six and a half hours. My heart was out of my body for an hour and a half. Wow. And I came out pink and gorgeous and alive. And um, they actually kicked some of my family out of the waiting room because there were so many people praying. There wasn't enough room for anybody else to sit in there. So I know that God had an infinite hand in that because there's no way that I could have survived if it hadn't been for the prayer and the the devotion and the the love of God surrounding me. Hmm. So that was one of the big miracles of my life. And my life's full of miracles every day. You know, I've been able to buy houses. I've had good jobs. I mean, there's been things that have come my way that I never expected. 
when the doctors initially said you wouldn't live past the age of two, you said? Past the age of two. Wow. Said, take me home and love me and just treat me well. And I found, with God's help, the wherewithal to survive the next seven years. Yeah. So the first heart transplant wasn't even tried until about seven years after I had my surgery. So it was very experimental, and I haven't been touched since except for a pacemaker. So, you know, it's been very successful. And I don't get down on on my health or anything because I know that God has worked in my background so much. He's always with me mm. that me worrying about things like that is, is pointless because um, he always gives me what I need. Um, I graduated from high school in 1972 and went to work for Bank of America. And I'd had no social structure at all because I'd never been around kids. And so my social development was really slow and um, not very exciting. Uh, I didn't know how to deal with other people uh-huh. because I'd always been surrounded by my family. So I had a lot of trouble making connections with kids my own age. Hmm. I gravitated more toward older people because I'd been around grandparents and my parents all my life. And I still tend to do that. Hmm. You know, um, I find that there's more wisdom and... Uh, I think because I think on a different level than most people my age, and that's not um, that's not saying emotional. Just I think I had to grow up faster mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. what it was, and so I think that that put my maturity at a different level. Finally, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, it took it took a few years. Um, I went to church all through high school. I was involved in Young Life, and did a lot of volunteer work through the church. Then I, I got baptized at thirteen. At San Bruno Baptist Church, First First Baptist Church of San Bruno. Hmm. We were living there. And then um, I went to Carmichael Baptist Church on Walnut and North for years. Well, when I got married the first time, I was 22. And uh, I thought that I was ready for marriage, which, of course, at 22, you're pretty young if you haven't had a lot of life experience. And we were married about five years. We're still really good friends, but he wasn't churched. His mother was, hmm. but he was not. So I kind of got off the path a little bit, and then I got off the path a lot. Um, I still went to church, but the, the spiritual closeness just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going through the motions. Right. And it was easy to say I'm a Christian, you know, but of course your your deeds and your behavior have to to mirror that. Right. And they didn't always do that. So um, my first husband and I split up in 1981, and we did not get divorced for like almost 12 years. And he's still a really good friend. He's a nice guy, but I just wasn't ready to be married. I wanted to spread my wings, and I wanted to do all the things that I didn't get to do when I was a kid. Mm. Um, I gave my parents a miserable time when I was a teenager. I'm, Mm. I'm surprised they didn't block me in a box somewhere (laughs) because I did everything I could possibly do. If it wasn't, don't do this. I had to do it. Right. And you know, I'm still sort of that way, but it's, it's more tempered over the years. Um, I, uh, met a few, my, my second husband when I was working for the railroad and he was, uh, quite a bit older than I was about 12 years and we were really good friends and, he swore that he would take wonderful care of me and love me to death. So um, we got married, and uh, he was an alcoholic. 
And I didn't know that until after we were married. He hid his booze. Mm. He was also a cross-dresser, which I didn't know until after we got married. So, um, couple of couple of secrets. uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's out there. So, and he has passed away since. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there was there was there was some question in my judgment at at that time. Um, To preface that, I had got really seriously involved with alcohol. My dad's side of the family, all of them were alcoholics. Mm. Um, And my grandfather and grandmother used to beat each other up and put each other in the hospital. It was just not a good sight. And my dad's little brother joined the Army at 17 to get away from um, his parents, and he was killed in Korea about a month after he'd been there. Hmm. So I had the I had the genes and I always would watch them and say, I'm never gonna do that. I'm never gonna drink. I never want to go through that. You know, that's just horrible the way people act. Mm-hmm. Well, then I caught myself in that in that trap. And it went on probably for about I don't know, ten, twelve years and just I was so confused about what my life was supposed to be like. And the further I got into myself, the further I got away from God. Mm. And trying to make all my own decisions, which obviously turned out to be disastrous. Um, One night I was uh, partying with some friends. I hadn't married John yet. And I was right in the middle of a drinking. And I put my glass down and I said, I can't do this anymore. And I had no intention of stopping because that was what was making me up at that time. And I went into rehab the next day, and I spent 30 days there. And I I have never had the urge to drink again. Hmm. But, you know, God stepped in that night and said, I'm not done with you yet. We're not. You're not going to do this to yourself anymore. And I went from total... Um, reliability or totally relying on alcohol Mm -hmm. to totally relying on God and sobriety. And I think what really helped me a lot is that when I went into rehab and of course you do 90 meetings in 90 days and all that, it's a faith-based program. AA Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And it really helped me to get back closer to God because I could sit back and listen to all these stories and see myself in so many different places and I knew that God had put me in the middle of all these people for a reason. I had a very strict sponsor, you know. She was funny because when I finally started hooking up with her, she said, I want you to go home and get a Nintendo and sit down in front of the TV. And when you're not working, I want you to do Nintendo mm. constantly. Mm-hmm. Said, I don't want you to do anything else but play Nintendo. So I played Nintendo for like six months without you know, ever looking up. Um, <laughs> it's like, okay, this is going to save me. And actually it was very yeah. good advice because it took my focus off of my natural bent right. and, and put me in the right direction. So by the time I married John, I'd been sober about, oh, two or three years. And I thought, oh yeah, I've got this beat, you know, this mm. is just really, well, I never went back out again, but I noticed that when I married him and the drinking behavior came to the forefront that it really scared me yeah. because I didn't want to go down that path again. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what it helped me too is God had, was standing there making sure that I could see behind me to what I was like and 
showing me a path to what I could become mm-hmm. instead of, you know, a lost soul out there wandering around. Um, so by the time I married him, I had, you know, you're not supposed to do anything for the first year. So I waited a year, of course, you know, I had to learn everything after a year. It had to be the benchmark, <laughs> right? So when I married him and, uh, I found out that he was drinking. Mm. I had a chance to move to Denver with the railroad. So they transferred us to Denver, which was really a godsend. I didn't want to go, but I had to for my job. And he sent me a letter about three months later saying, we're divorced, you know, it was a mistake. And I was like, Mm. well, this really wasn't the best way to get there, but thank you, God, for (laughs) an easy out because I didn't know how it was going to end up. But it ended up, you know, pretty well. Um, Jerry and I met at work, and um, he said that as soon as he walked out of the room, he's out of his cubicle that first day, he saw me and said, I'm going to marry her. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just been an absolute godsend for me. You know, he puts up with me, which is... <laughs> <laughs> I think he said the same thing yeah, about you. <laughs> not, yeah, well, you can see where then we were made to be together yeah. because um, he puts up with me, but... You know, nowadays for me, um, it's a matter of I, I'm not I'm not a Bible spouter. I never have been. That's not my strength. Um, I read my Bible. I read it every day, mm-hmm. and I know the stories in it. If you ask me where a certain thing is found, I probably couldn't tell you, but I know that it's there. Mm-hmm. Just like I know that God is there, and um, I think that my faith too has been. Um, built up by the ability to serve because serving is my strength. I love to serve. Mm -hmm. And anything that I can do to help anybody, I never say no, which is probably not always a good idea. (laughs) I have a hard time saying no to a Mm -hmm. lot of things, not just that. Shopping is another big thing (laughs) I have trouble saying no to. But as far as um, my spiritual growth, it's been such, it has helped so much. Yeah. You know, um, I notice that all of the things that are going on in the world now, I don't even think about because that's not where our final prize is at. You know, how well the Democrats and Republicans get along is is ins- is insignificant mm-hmm. to what's happening in my heart and my soul and my life. Um, I've worked really hard with my family. Uh, they don't like the changes in me, probably because they're not church themselves. You mm-hmm. know, they they think that I'm lording it over them, so to speak. But I try to live by example. You know, mm. I'm a real smart aleck. I can be, and I've got a very dry, dry sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, not everybody understands that, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I just do what I can. And uh, yeah, I think I think your story can be very inspirational to a lot of people that are still maybe right now in the midst of that struggle against addiction, alcoholism, whatever it may be that is trapping them. And I think you really hit on something when you said that it went from being a dependency or reliability on the alcohol to shifting that to having a dependency or reliability on the Lord. And what do you do you think that you you nailed down what was it that was so attractive i guess in the moment about 
the alcohol or was it something you were trying to forget or were there emotions you were trying to bury or was it just hey this is just what we do now what was there a particular trigger or was there anything that kind of kept leading you back to that and then finally it was like that that night you talked about where i don't want to do this anymore and that's exactly how that happened um I think I drank because it's in my genes to begin with, because, you know, science okay. has said that it's yep. definitely hereditary. Yeah, there's the nature versus nurture argument. Is it is it bred into us, or is it the environment around us? And I, I, I think it's both. It is. There's absolutely a genetic aspect. So you think in your case it was more genetic, and then also having uh, that environment you talked about growing up? or what, Well, probably. The, that. My, now, my mother's family, none of them drink. They were teetotalers. They wouldn't even allow wine in the house. Okay. I mean, you know, so I had two different worlds. And my dad did not take us around his family. Okay. Just because of the situation. But his sisters were alcoholics. And, you know, I was around my cousins. In fact, yeah. that's one of the cousins that I just lost. Mm. Um, I think for me, I had the money at the time to buy and and entertain other people mm, mm-hmm. i had some real hangers on and because i wasn't comfortable with myself as far as making friends i bought the ones that i had okay and that yeah. basically i think is what it boils down to because i could i could pay for it they were there right i had so much stuff in my head and I wasn't sure which direction to go that I think I just drank because it just blotted everything out. Yeah. You know, um, your problems are are meant to be dealt with. Mm. They're not meant to be buried. And once you start that cycle, mm-hmm. it's like being in a whirlpool. You just get pulled further and further down. Right. And you can't see the, the sky anymore. And... To me, it was just a vicious circle. Mm-hmm. You know, if I think, I drink. Right. And if I drink, I don't think. And I think that that was probably the, the, the biggest um, influence on why I drank is because I just didn't like who I was. And mm-hmm. I could forget who I was and I didn't have to worry about choices. Right. You know? And I think that that really hits on something about who our identity and... The Bible speaks a lot about our identity being in Jesus Christ when we become a Christian. And there's so many other things that are trying to grab us. And mm-hmm. this, I am a doctor. I am the the person, the hostess that likes to entertain and have big parties. and mm-hmm. Or I am this, right? But if we, if we get our identity locked in Jesus, and I think that's why it was great advice that your sponsor had for you when it was, hey, just get a Nintendo or whatever and replace that time. I think sometimes we miss that, though, as Christians where in Instead of just removing and replacing something, we need to remember there's that middle step that Ephesians talks about, about renewing our minds in Jesus Christ and in his word. So we we remove, we renew, then we replace. And and if we miss that renewal part, then it's there's nothing stopping us sometimes from going back. Exactly. And, and I'm glad that you haven't gone back. And what a what a blessing that is that you've been growing and renewing yourself. And it's not just a one step time. One step. I made this decision once and never again was I tempted. Yeah, right. <laughs> That'd be awesome, but it's just not reality. It, it would. And you know, when I was in rehab, the doctor that came in every every Sunday, every Saturday, and spoke to us said, "Look at the person on either side of you. Those people are going to go back out again." Mm. And, you know, one mm. in three is not very good odds. Right. In fact, I had one of my uh, counselors tell me, he said, I worry for you. He said, I think you're going to go back out. Mm. And I'm just stubborn enough 
<laughs> that I said, no, I'm not. Yeah. You know, but God completely took away the the desire to drink that night. I mean, yeah. I had no intention of stopping because I did not, I was too afraid. And this is, this is a point that I always try to make with people when I talk to them about addiction. Stepping out of yourself is very scary. No matter how bad things are, at least you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, once you step outside of that, you're taking on a whole different set of circumstances. You're, you're taking on different people. You're taking on a different lifestyle. You're doing something that is totally foreign and uncomfortable for you. Mm. And that's the scariest thing of all. And I think that's why so many people are afraid to take that step. Yeah. Because they don't know what's out there. But for me, I mean, it was like my hand was just literally sat down and said, you're not going to do this anymore. Wow. You're done. Yeah. And the, the craving That's was powerful. taken away. It, it was That's a awesome. miracle. It, I mean, out of all the miracles in my life, I would have to say that that was the biggest. Yeah. Because that saved my life more than the surgery did. Yeah. Because I probably would have drank myself to death and, and nobody would have known why. Yeah. No. Well, what an awesome thing to replace that identity of being an alcoholic with, I am now a disciple of Christ. I, I'm a follower of his once again. That's right. And and I would like to encourage you. I, I just recently heard about, and I began reading a book called Stop Trying. It's written by Pastor Kerry Schmidt. And his whole point is, stop trying to be this great Christian and just let the word of God and let Jesus Christ work in you. Let your identity be so deeply rooted in him that I don't have to try to be a Christian. It's just this natural outpouring of how I, who I am on the inside. And I, I think it's a great premise, and I really enjoyed the book so far. But, again, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of it. You know, you can get it on Kindle or get it pretty much anywhere online and stuff like that. But it's called Stop Trying by Pastor Kerry Schmidt. And if you're struggling with this concept of who am I or what's my purpose and all these kind of things, I'd encourage you to get that book. Again, one more time, it's Stop Trying by Pastor Kerry Schmidt. And Debbie, anything else you want to share with us today? I mean, I've really enjoyed our conversation so far. What what else is God doing in your life? Well, um, I'm not a perfect Christian, that's for sure. You know, what? I, make, I know, hard to believe. Huh? <laughs> I make my mistakes every day. I, I yeah. you know, I'm judgmental and I'm short-tempered at times, and I'm all the things that us humans are. But you know, if you stop and ask God to say, "Hey, you know, I messed up. Please forgive me." And you know that that forgiveness is there. For anybody who has access to a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I would encourage you to read Kings of the Kings Keys to the Kingdom. Mm. And it's a faith-based story. And it tells about how you can be released from the bonds of addiction. Mm. And, you know, you have to believe that it can happen, though. Belief is so important and faith is so important. And for me... For my my religion and for my spirituality, faith is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't have faith, you don't have anything. Mm-hmm. You've got to know that God is up there and that he's taking care of you and that whatever happens to you is because it's supposed to. It's nothing you did to invite it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nothing that you asked for. It's God's way of saying, lean on me right, and I will help you through this. But if you don't lean on God, it, it can't happen for you. You, yeah. have, you have to have that spiritual faith. So my life right now is awesome. I've got a great husband. I bought a new house. And uh, I've got a great pastor, great congregation. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. And I just hope that I'm doing what God needs me to do. 
Amen. through through the church and through um, my devotion to other people because you know serving is serving is is a good thing for me. Amen. So I appreciate the time and and I hope that whoever hears this knows that there's hope for you and you don't have to live like that if you don't want to. Um, anybody here in the church knows how to get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. So if uh, you have any questions or need to contact me, um, there is a way to do that. Yeah. So if you've been listening today and you'd like somebody to come alongside of you or if you're looking for help, I'd encourage you to reach out to our church office. The phone number is 916-572-2322. You can call. You can text that number anytime, day or night. You can leave us a message. You can send us a text message. And we'd love to get back and we'd love to help you, whatever it might be, whether it's addiction, loneliness, depression, whatever is in your life, perhaps that you're thinking, I just need, I need someone, I need some support, I need some help in some way. So again, the phone number is 916-572-2322. This is I Love to Tell the Story. And thank you again, Debbie, for being here with us today. And this is just a place that, again, we love to share and praise God for all that he is doing in our lives. And if you would like to be a part of the program, if you'd like to share your story or share a miracle that God has done in your life, then please reach out to us. We'd love to have you come on and tell your story so one generation can praise the mighty acts of God to another. Have a great day.